Kia ora, and welcome to my daily chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. This is my daily podcast and email newsletter for paying subscribers who um, are interested in Aotearoa New Zealand's political economy, particularly around our housing affordability, climate change in action, and poverty reduction crises. Normally, I try to avoid getting involved or spend any time on what I call the culture wars uh, that regularly surge back and forth across the internet. Debates about um, democracy, Nazis, uh, the future of publishing, uh, whether something should be censored or banned or cancelled, what the heck Donald Trump is up to. All of these things are sometimes interesting and sometimes I have views, but usually they're not very useful views and uh, they just tend to waste time and energy and uh, solve no problems, Uh, at least at my level. If I was the President of the United States or had control of um, 16 aircraft carriers, uh, I might in theory be able to do something about it, but I don't. All I do, and the skills I have, are to write and podcast about the political economy, uh, to ask questions, publish the answers, try to understand and explain issues uh, in my country about housing, climate change, and poverty reduction. And that's what we've been doing for three years. We now have nearly 17,000 people who received the free version of the Kaka, and nearly 3,000 people. <coughs> Excuse me. And nearly 3,000 people who received the paid version of the email newsletter. Lynn Gruveson and and I produce it daily, and we have done since late 2020. I often write and uh, produce podcasts and do interviews. Lynn edits and produces all of the uh, uh, pictures and graphics and uh, helps me administer uh, the business, which is based on Substack. The reason I'm talking about this is that some of you may have heard about some controversies around Substack itself over the last three or four weeks. This all started at the end of November when a reporter for The Atlantic, the US-based magazine and online uh, site that looks at political issues, published an article to say that Substack had a Nazi problem. And it was full of apparent detail about various uh, publications on Substack that um, sent email newsletters and, in theory, uh, were receiving money from subscribers for all sorts of the usual horrible, ugly, hateful uh, um, speech and debate uh, around issues like um, uh, the Nazi party, vaccines, all those sorts of things. And there certainly is a wide range of views and publishers on Substack. It's quite large now. But the story was that somehow Substack was enabling and amplifying the voices and making sure they were paid 
uh, of uh, people who were actively Nazis and who were promoting violence against others. Now, this was uh, something that happened towards the end of November, and I didn't actually see much of it until the end of December, which you may think is strange, given that I publish on Substack and think and talk a lot about politics and the global economy and the likes. I did see a headline, uh, but I have developed a bunch, a bunch of tools to screen out what I call unnecessary and unproductive activity on the internet. The internet is a time-sucking machine, which uh, for anyone who have tendencies towards ADHD, and I'm one of those, can be a place you quickly get lost and are driven mad. And my one of my main tasks every day is to avoid being distracted by um, uh, pointless and... Um, uh, frustrating debates, which aren't really debates. They are groups of people shouting at each other. And uh, so I try to screen those out. However, um, over the summer break here in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, through uh, late December and early January, obviously I was on holiday too, so I turned off a bunch <laughs> of things. But um, it managed to break through the filters and by the end of last week, I was seeing some concerning signs. So not only was this uh, article by The Atlantic out there, and remember, um, The Atlantic is something that is a serious and uh, often useful publication. I'm actually a subscriber. And in the email newsletter that you've received this podcast with, I've used one of my free gift links. I get five a month. And so I've linked to this article. So um, this is not, you could argue, just a usual fly by or drive by shooting of an article in which someone says something outrageous and it isn't actually backed up by any facts. Uh, however, I didn't get a chance to really um, interrogate the facts and arguments in this article and then a whole bunch of stuff happened. There were a couple of uh, letters to Substack essentially backing up this article in The Atlantic and challenging Substack to do more to moderate away this hate speech. And uh, firstly, I think there was a couple of hundred writers in the United States, including the likes of Margaret Atwood, who um, called on Substack to take a harder line. And also in Aotearoa, there was um, a joint letter sent uh, to Substack to ask it to, or challenge it to do better on issues around hate speech. So these are people I listen to and respect, and they were saying that there was a real problem here for Substack. So a few days ago, I started to dig around. Uh, and also, I've received lots of emails, um, a couple of cancellations, and various challenges online to explain myself and to have a view, which, uh, you know, I get lots of uh, requests to have views on various things. Um most of which I probably don't have a right <laughs> to have any sort of interesting or publicly um, uh, touted view. Um, so I tend to keep those to myself, um, particularly around the rules for, um, uh, particularly around the LBW rules, um, the, uh, the scrum rules, and also whatever ha is happening with um, uh, Princess 
uh, is it Kate uh, or the one from America? All of those things I tend to ignore. But when people directly challenged me and said, are you staying on Substack? When are you leaving? Why aren't you leaving? Um, how do I um, cancel my subscription? And how do, Or how do I pay you without ensuring uh, Substack doesn't get any money? Then it's something that I needed to address. So over the last few days I've done that. It's tempting when you see something online to... Um, Draw the pistol from the holster and fire away. It's a bit like a gunfight, uh, the internet. Um, it's who's who gets to their gun fastest and shoots the most, who seems to win. Uh, and I don't think that's very productive or uh, much fun or um, very healthy for people's mental health in the end. So I tend to step away and uh, start to do research, do a lot of reading, asking a few questions, talking to a few people, particularly those who I know have experience and uh, are, um, have judgment, and, um, uh, and then start to uh, develop a point of view. I also have a, a set of experiences and hopefully skills, which give me some, uh, some right to say uh, something useful about this. My background is as a financial journalist and um, editorial executive uh, for the likes of, firstly, uh, Reuters, uh, the Financial Times Group, Fairfax Media, which is now Stuff. And over the years, I've helped either roll out or actually produced uh, at least eight editorial systems publishing online or creating platforms for commentary and subscriptions. So I've, I've had some experience in uh, how to do these things and, and to do them uh, hopefully successfully. Some of them have been successful, some of them haven't. So I've, I've learned along the way uh, what seems to work and also what feels best. So uh, just for those people who aren't aware of my uh, um, CV, uh, I started out as a financial journalist for Reuters and by the early 2000s, I had uh, jumped out uh, in London uh, to help found or help create um, FT Market Watch, which was a freely available news site with data for individual investors in Europe and the UK, based on a US operation called MarketWatch.com, and uh, that was with Peter Bale. For those of you who are familiar with the Hoon. Uh, and he has gone on to run um, very large and successful online publishing businesses, news businesses, uh, MSN uh, Europe, thetimes.co.uk, uh, and a bunch of others. And so he's also thought about this, and I've had some discussions with Peter. So um, after I came back from the UK, uh, in which I helped launch FT Market Watch, and also as the editor, founding editor of Reuters.co.uk, uh, launched Reuters.co.uk, had to make decisions about um, paywalls, uh, rights to subscribe, um, uh, subscription platforms, and um, payments, all of these issues, which aren't actually as easy as you might think. And uh, through the years in uh, New Zealand, when I was the head of Fairfax Digital running stuff, and then uh, subsequent to that, uh, the co-founder of interest.co.nz uh, uh, and the creator of my own uh, email subscription newsletter platform, which is called Hive News, uh, and then the creator of uh, 
or the uh, co-founder of newsroom.co.nz. I have a few um, uh, skills and experience to talk about this, mainly because I've actually been there before, uh, been where Substack is. And if only Substack had been around in 2012, <laughs> I would have used it. 2012, I jumped out of interest.co.nz with the view that the future was subscriptions, having seen the um, the dominance of, or the growing dominance of Facebook, of Google, and, and the way platforms, uh, search and social media platforms, were essentially uh, consuming all the value inherent in display advertising, and uh, did not see a future for ad-funded news online. Uh, so I had to basically invent my own version of Substack, and that meant cobbling together uh, a version of WordPress with a user database, uh, with Stripe, the payments platform, uh, and um, an integration with MailChimp, an email newsletter platform. It literally was the equivalent of uh, putting together a boat from the spare parts uh, at the dump. Um that's a bit rude because the people who produced it for me and did the pulling together were absolutely excellent and very experienced in their own right. Um, a, um, a company led by Ron Simpson, who was one of the co-founders of Trade Me and uh, also one of the major players in the early growth of Zero. So um, we built this platform. It cost me more than $50,000. Uh, which actually is relatively cheap um, when you look at the cost of some other IT projects around Wellington. And uh, it worked uh, to a fashion. So I was able to uh, build up um, more than 3,000 subscribers and a partial income from subscriptions. But it was an awful lot of work. And because I was unable to spend huge amounts of money on software and software development and maintenance and updates, it really stagnated after it was built in the five years that I used it. Uh, it also occasionally broke um, and uh, certainly wasn't integrated in the way that Substack is uh, in terms of having a comment platform that works seamlessly with a user database and a payments platform, which has the sorts of easy-to-use tools that allow you to publish some things openly and publish other things behind paywalls, to publish teaser paragraphs, uh, which free users can see, but not, uh, and, and uh, encourages them to become paid users. All of these tools, these, these abilities to iterate and to um, try things out and to do it safely and cheaply. Remember that Substack makes 10% uh, of the, takes 10% of the revenues of your subscriptions has um, allowed the Kaka, which launched in 2020 on Substack, uh, to become the thing that it is. So it's a now a viable um, business for Lynn and myself. And it's been a fun place where, because only paid subscribers can comment, uh, and subscribers often only read the articles and listen to the podcasts via their email browser, and their podcast uh, uh, platforms, there isn't the same noise or pain that you might get, for example, reading an article on Stuff, or the New Zealand Herald, or News Hub. And uh, the quality of the interactions, the commentary, the debate, the um, 
shared experience is so, so much better than uh, what I've seen previously. So, for example, uh, when I helped launch interest.co.nz, first with a blog platform, we used WordPress, and then with its own bespoke platform, um, we allowed uh, all anonymous users to comment, and then we spent the next couple of years trying to moderate the thing. Um, there, of course, is a trade-off here between openness and revenues. Um, the more open you are, the less revenue you get. Um, uh, the less open you are, the more revenue you get, um, the fewer people you have. And, and the whole basis of having a community is that uh, there's no point in going into the pub with the highest prices that has one patron when uh, the pub uh, down the road with free beer and um, a thousand people having the time of their lives um, is a more fun place to go and visit. So it's a tough one, and you have to work very hard to build a big enough audience to become a community that is trusted. And with Substack, we've managed to do this. Now, the claims are that Substack um, seems not to care that there, uh, there might be Nazis producing things on Substack. And the implication from the article uh, is that... Um, Substack is making lots of money from Nazis and is helping to uh, redistribute and amplify the messages uh, into the rest of Substack and beyond. Uh, my investigations show this is simply not true. Uh, there were 16 Substacks cited by Jonathan Katz in his article in The Atlantic. Uh, he doesn't actually name many, and I can understand why. He wouldn't want to point lots of people to these sites and make them much more popular. Uh, but also, he doesn't document um, or indicate that he has documented exactly who they are and how much money they're making. Uh, a subsequent uh, investigation and series of articles by Casey Newton of The Platformer uh, are interesting in this regard. Um, he did his own work in trying to understand how many Nazis were on Substack, dug around and found five sorry, six Substackers that were on uh, Substack and which um, appeared to have hundreds of subscribers. He then approached Substack because he was publishing itself on Substack and uh, Casey Newton's decision to leave Substack was one of those moments when I realised that I couldn't just stand back and let this one go through to the keeper. Casey found six. He told uh, a Substack about them. Substack banned five of them. Uh, which appeared to breach the um, terms of service that Substack has, which is based on the um, threshold that uh, incitement, credible incitements to violence are the, um, uh, the criteria to ban someone. Also, of course, whenever you sign up for Substack, you have to sign up with Stripe, which is the payments platform, which also has a similar policy. So essentially, if Stripe has banned you before, and can't identify you, then you're not going to get on as a substacker who can actually make money out of Substack. You can still create free sites, but of course um, that's not earning the money and is not the potent um, tool that the likes of Jonathan Katz um, talked about. So, uh, five. So we've gone from 16 to five um, that have been banned. And upon investigation, um, we've discovered that there are less than 100 active readers of those five sites. Uh, 
and there has been no subscriptions. No money has changed hands. And uh, Substack has made no money from these Nazis. Now, uh, there are other extremist groups and people putting out information that none of us are comfortable with and probably think are a net um, detraction from the, from the um, uh, well-being of the world. And obviously, I there refer to um, anti-vaxxers and, of course, all sorts of uh, others who are saying, um, for example, climate deniers. Um, but I don't think anyone's suggesting that Substack should be banning those, at least yet. Uh, and, of course, um, it, it can be a slippery slope once you start banning people for the quality of views rather than something quite substantial as threats to violence. Um, this is sort of personal uh, here because uh, I have been subject to death threats because of the things I've written uh, about vaccines, the economy and the likes. Uh, I was one of those put on the list to be tried and hung by the protesters in Wellington, um, along with colleagues of mine, and they actually received more specific and credible death threats. Um, so I am no lover of uh, people who uh, express these sorts of pro-Nazi, um, extreme right-wing, anti-vax uh, type views. Uh, also, uh, I am uh, not a believer that um, uh, if only you have everyone able to say what they want, eventually the good will push out the bad. Um, that's not the case, uh, clearly, over the years. And I actually see lots of merit in restricting some forms of hate speech. Um, it doesn't make us better off. And uh, sometimes you do have to make judgments, and sometimes it is expensive. To, um, to do that work of moderating and verifying and, and doing the work of cutting things out. Obviously, um, Substack uh, doesn't moderate uh, for all of, its, uh, all of those who publish on Substack. They give all the tools to the publisher. And this is where Substack becomes very useful and has helped improve the quality of the debates. Uh, and that is around uh, uh, ensuring that um, Substack publishers can only allow paid subscribers to comment or just have no comments at all. And it's the same for the chat function and the notes function. So um, that is how uh, the quality is controlled. In my experience and the experience of the people um, who are subscribers is that it is uh, uh, a very healthy and clean environment that creates constructive, useful and ultimately human conversations between people who are really engaging as opposed to shouting at each other. The answer to the question, will you be staying on Substack, is clearly yes. Um, we are here for the foreseeable future and uh, we are proud to be here and we won't allow five Substacks with less than 100 active readers and no subscribers to force us off a platform we've invested three years of our lives in. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was slightly longer our chorus today, but in response to requests from subscribers and others about uh, our future with Substack and this question of whether Substack has a Nazi problem. In my view, it doesn't, and we are here to stay. Kaki te hano.